The question that I want to ask to begin with is, do we see Jesus clearly? I want to ask you guys, what are some perceptions or some thoughts or some ways maybe that you've thought about Jesus or that you've heard maybe other people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, about what they think or who they think Jesus is? Could be it. Like incorrect thoughts or yeah. Magic genie, Jesus. Like he'll grant all your wishes, do whatever you want. What else? Other thoughts? Just easygoing, cool, hippie Jesus. Laid back Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus homeboy. Because <laughs> there is then there there's the Jesus that doesn't give you anything that you want. Mm-hmm. Even though it's almost just required. Mm-hmm. Slave driving Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a good teacher Jesus. Give us a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're thinking about those perceptions then Think to like those people and think about their lives. What what kinds of things would come to mind when you think about the kinds of lives of people who see Jesus like that? And what kinds of like what what are their values or what are they kind of driven by? Usually like free thinkers or just um, live for today. Mm-hmm. You only have today kind of Just instant gratification, or just like existentialist, essentially. Yeah. Just like whatever it is is. It is yeah. It's like case or officer, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't have to listen to. I don't have to do what Jesus says if if he's just kind of a homeboy or yeah. a teacher yeah. with some good ideas or something. It's like, well, there's no. That's not necessarily authority. Yeah, like he's good for me, maybe, but he doesn't hold any authority, so maybe I'll take it, maybe I'll leave it. Yeah, I think of people that think of Jesus as like this great teacher, a lot of times are the buffet spirituality type. Like, mm-hmm. I like this mm-hmm. part about mm-hmm. Jesus, and I like this part about this thing, and I like this part about this religion, and this part about this, and this makes me a spiritual person. Yeah. So the final question here is, is joy one of the things you think of when you think of those people? Hmm. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. All right, fair. So let's, let's uh, open up to Luke 24. The main question that we're going to seek to answer tonight with us in mind is, there's all these ideas and all these perceptions about who we see Jesus is, and there's different responses that people have in life to their understanding of who Jesus is. And the question that we're going to ask ourselves tonight is, do we see Jesus clearly? And so we're going to just kind of fly through Luke 24. It's a big chapter. We're going to have three major scenes. I'm going to land us on um, one big question in the middle, so there'll be some discussion. And then I want to land on some principles afterwards. So we're going to start by just walking through the narrative. So if somebody could 
help me out and just let's read through chapters, uh, I'm sorry, verses 1 through 12. Everybody read that for me. Luke 24, is it? Yeah, Luke 24. I want to read that. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven to the, all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Thanks, Ozzy. So if you guys recall, this is actually right after Jesus' crucifixion and burial. And Jared and I were talking about the potential of, hey, let's just do a sermon on the crucifixion. But we landed against it because we thought, well, I kind of feel like I'd really want to like build that up and like kind of do it justice. So we landed here at the resurrection um, for a lot of reasons, and I'll kind of point to those later. But um, if you guys have not really taken the time to read through those accounts of the Passion Week and the crucifixion, I would highly suggest just taking it slow and just really meditating on what it meant for Jesus to suffer. Um, because that's the backdrop of, of all of this. So if we were to just go right into this and not realize how, I mean, really depressing the whole like feel and the environment of all of what was just about what is just happening now. If we fail to recognize that, then we're just going to really actually fail to recognize a lot of things about why this is such an incredible account. So, first, that's my that's my plug for reading about Jesus' death. So, um, timeline: Friday, Jesus is buried in the tomb. Saturday is the Sabbath, and Sunday. We start verse 1, and it shows that there's these women who are followers of Jesus who are going to the tomb. And what's interesting about this is that they, they're going to the tomb having prepared spices that Friday night, knowing they wouldn't be able to do it on the Sabbath, but then they go on Sunday. And what's interesting about this is that we're going to see that each of the characters in chapter 24 goes through kind of like this cycle of like living by sight living by what they see, coming to the realization that, hey, actually, maybe Jesus is alive, and then going through this transformation of their faith. And so here to begin with, you can already see these women are living, essentially, they're living by their sight. They're like, okay, well, Jesus died, and so the honorable, respectful thing to do, which you can't really blame them for, is like, hey, let's, let's like, anoint his body and let's like make sure that it has enough spices so it doesn't like 
just totally smell, and we'll, we'll treat even his body with dignity, right? It's kind of like the right thing to do in, in that context. But what they don't realize is that they're just literally living into their sight. They don't remember anything that Jesus had said before leading up to his death or anything like that. And so when they arrive at the tomb, they see that the stone is rolled away. It's a massive stone that not one man could even haul away, let alone a man who had been crucified. And, these, and they were, it says they were perplexed about this. Like they didn't know what to make of this. They had seen Jesus die on a cross with their own eyes. And now they're just standing there with this tomb that's rolled away. And they don't see Jesus or his body in the tomb. And they're thinking, what is going on? And all of a sudden, these two dazzling men show up. And these are like, <laughs> they're angels, right? Damn. So it's just like out of nowhere, then these dazzling men show up. <laughs> and, you know, it's like in children's stories of the Bible, you get these like little winged, freaky baby angels. They're not things. dazzling. And they're not dazzling. And, and what's great is like not only like not only is that such a wrong depiction of it, but you can just tell because here and in so many other places, like in the prophets, when an angel shows up, what do guys do? People like fall into the ground and like they're fainting and they're like blinded and there's all this like just horrible. This is they're frightened and they're bowed their faces to the ground. And so, like, that's just a plug for angels is, don't mess with angels. Angels are messengers of God, not with little cupid wings. And if one were to appear before you, you would probably fall, we would all probably fall on our face and be very, very afraid. And so they frighten the women. And what do the angels say? They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He, Jesus, is not here, but is risen. And then they say this very key word, remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so you see this transformation. They go to the tomb, they see it's empty, they're thinking, oh, maybe actually Jesus is alive they don't quite understand it yet but what helps them to understand truly what's going on what is it that brings the reality it's remembering the truth so you have reality as it is and you have the angels coming to tell them or remind them of this truth that gospel that that jesus shared with them and then all of a sudden the truth corresponds to reality and they believe. And they go to the 11 and they're like, hey guys, Jesus actually rose. And you gotta hand it to the women for having faith. And you know, one of my burdens is like, in general, is like not a lot of spiritual men in the church and that's just a problem nowadays. It seems like that's a perpetual problem, even here, because the women in this story are the first ones to get it. And they go to the men and even the leaders of, of the disciples, right? They go to the 11 and it says, but these words, the words that the women shared, seemed to them an idle tale. <laughs> it's like, guys, I, I know you didn't see the angels and fall on your face, but you guys are pretty dense. <laughs> and so 
they dismissed them, and it says they, did, they didn't believe them. But Peter, remember Peter, who denied Jesus three times, who at this point, you've got to imagine, is like looking for an end. He's like, well, these other guys don't believe it, but maybe, and maybe he's not even doing it for the right reasons. Maybe he's just going because he's like, hey, maybe I could actually tell Jesus I'm sorry. That would be great, you know? And so he goes to the tomb, and stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen claws by themselves, and then he just went home, and he just marveled at what happened. So the women go to the tomb, they see the possibility, they hear from the angels, and then the truth corresponds with, with or they're, rem they're reminded of the truth, which then corresponds with the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. Peter hears this account. He doesn't get to hear what the angels say, and so he just goes home still perplexed. He's like, I don't, I don't believe it, but I just, I don't get it, right? So he just goes home. So what happens next? We have, so this is the first scene. The second scene, Luke takes us through, uh, takes us on the road, let's call it on the road to Emmaus for these two travelers. And these two travelers are disciples of Jesus. They would have been with the 12, part of probably the 72, been with Jesus in his, fo you know, following him through his ministry. And I'll, I'll read through this one. It's, it says, that very day, so Resurrection Sunday, the, group, the women went to the tomb in the morning. Luke's saying, this very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's about seven miles northwest. Jerusalem's up on a mountain, and they climb down about seven miles toward the coast. Right? So they're traveling down this road. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. I believe they're, they're talking about the, all the events of Passion Week, and mm -hmm. they're going to explain what they're thinking about in a second. So they're going down the road, they're talking, and while they were talking and discussing together, all of a sudden, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And Luke's very clear, like, that Jesus himself is, is just emphasized in the, in the Greek. It's just, if it wasn't any clear, it's not like, oh, and then Jesus just showed up. It was like, Jesus, the actual person, the actual man, the physical guy himself started walking with them. And so, interestingly, Luke says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Like, God had a purpose in mind, so he actually stopped their eyes from seeing who he, or from recognizing who he physically was. And Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And there's all this forward momentum in the story going forward so far. And all of a sudden, they sit still and looking sad. So here's, here's what's interesting. The women went to the tomb. They were going to do the spices. They were living into what they saw. Now you have these two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem, and they're just like, hey, well, we're, we're just leaving because Jesus is done, Passover is over, and so what we, I guess we'll just go home, right? Uh, we were following him, but we'll just go home now. But they're, but they're sad, which is interesting because it's like, why would you be sad if 
I guess I guess if your rabbi was killed and murdered, yeah, you you'd be pretty sad. But they're just kind of perplexed, and they're perplexed because of what they say here. So, verse eighteen. Then one of them named Cleopas answered. Oh man, here's the irony. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So the, the irony is just so great here. Jesus himself is walking along the road with these two disciples. And the two disciples are asked this question, what are you guys talking about? And they're just like perplexed and sad because they're like, our rabbi got killed, but now these two women are saying that the tomb is empty. We just, we don't get it. We're not really sure. And what's ironic is they like start talking to Jesus like he does not know what's going on. And yet, with the true reality of things, he's the only one that knows what's going on. Like he's the only one that truly understands what the purpose of all of this is. And they're like talking to him like, dude, where, have you been under a rock? Kinda. Kinda, right? Kinda. And so, What's also interesting is that they're like, okay, at this point, well, we know now for sure, hey, Joanne, Jesus was only a prophet. That's, that's kind of what they thought. Kind of like what you said, Nick. Like, Jesus was only a teacher. He's a good teacher. For the Jews, it would be like, oh, Jesus was only a prophet, right? And they also say, we were actually hoping he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, which they don't realize, but he just did. Like, and, and what they're thinking of, I think what they're thinking of is definitely that there was a messianic hope that he would be the Messiah. But what they didn't realize is that redemption looked a whole lot different than what they expected. They were expecting saving and conquest. Like, save us from Rome and then conquer them. Like, David 2.0, come in, whip those Philistines, now whip the Romans, and now we're good. You know, and, and just we'll rule. And what they didn't realize was that redemption has the idea that there is a cost. Redemption is like redeeming a voucher for something. You, you, you take the good and you give them the voucher. It's an exchange. Redemption is not just a one-time, just take the thing and that's it. It's an exchange and that's what, they're, that's what they just totally missed. They just totally did not understand what was going on with it. And so they're just trying to resolve this difficulty as they're walking and talking to Jesus. They say, well, they're, they're doubtful, they're sad, they're perplexed. And what is, so what does Jesus respond with? It says in verse 
25. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He said, O foolish ones and slow of heart. Foolishness refers to a lack of understanding, for sure, on an intellectual level, they did not understand what was what was supposed to happen in this redemption of Israel. But I think it's interesting that he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, slow of heart, which is a, a figurative expression. And in the Hebrew mind, the heart was really, really just like the most, the inmost part of you, your inner man or your inner soul. It's the, the center of the seat of, of who you are. And it says, you're slow of heart, which I don't think speaks to intellect as much as faith. It's like you don't intellectually get it, but in reality also, you don't have the faith. It, it wouldn't even matter if you got it. You just simply are not living in faith. And, and it's evidenced by them leaving Jerusalem and everything. And so, you know, we got to wonder, okay, is Jesus just kind of being a little bit hard on them? Because, like, I'm not a perfect interpreter of Scripture, uh, and it's, Scripture can be difficult sometimes. And I don't think so. There's a, there's a few different places that I want us to turn in Luke. Um, the angels mentioned to the women that, he, that Jesus had told them in Galilee, like, hey, this is going to happen to me, right? And then Jesus is saying, you're slow apart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so in Luke, Luke plants these seeds throughout his gospel, and he's got four different places, or really three different places, where this is mentioned. And I just want to dig through those really quick, okay? And give us, give us a timeline, just so we know kind of what we're thinking about here. The first one is in Caesarea Philippi up north. So Jesus in the middle of his ministry, and there's this pivotal moment where he essentially he multiplies the bread, and he just kind of reveals that he's got these abilities that really only God can do. And they go up to Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks Peter, or he asks the disciples, he says, who do, who do the people say I am? And of course, here we go, we're dealing with another, like, do we see Jesus rightly deal? And they're like, uh, Elijah, a prophet, and then Peter's like, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, very good, Simon Barjona. Uh, <laughs> yeah, guy. And sure, right immediately after this, what does Jesus say? Uh, he says, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one that he was the Messiah, or the Christ, saying... Son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and then be killed and on the third day be raised. So, admission number one by Jesus. Six days later, 
They go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. He brings three of them up with him. And they have this crazy revelation where, where Christ just literally like unveils his, his like uh, metaphysical glory. Like his, his earthly frame is like taken away and all of a sudden they just like see this pure godly essence. And as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says, don't tell anybody what you've seen today until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And so, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what, what does this rising from the dead mean? What, is, what does it even mean? And then shortly after that, because they're so impressed with his deity, right? The three start complaining, or they start arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Like, literally right after this. And what did Jesus do? Jesus is like, okay, first, oh, I forgot to say, on the first one, after, after Jesus admits that he's going to be killed, Peter is like, no, Jesus, what are you talking about? That's not what the Messiah does. You're, you're wrong, Jesus. I, I got it. Like, you're not going to be doing that. And what does Jesus do? He's like, get behind me, Satan, in front of everybody. And Peter's just like, oh, okay. I'll just get in my corner. So same thing happens here. Transfiguration happens. Jesus admits that he's going to be killed. And then they start buying over power. Like the three of them are like, oh, which one's going to be the closest to Jesus? And then Jesus goes, um, yeah, you guys got it all wrong. See this child over here? Uh, you're going to have to be like this child if you're going to want to be great in the kingdom of God. And they're just like, oh gosh. <laughs> well, I guess we got it all wrong. Two days after that, they're heading back from the mountain and they're going into Galilee. And they're kind of, and Jesus is kind of staging himself, getting ready to go to Jerusalem to finally like be crucified and all of this. And while he's in Galilee, he exercises demons from this little boy. I think you guys remember, he's, there's this demon-possessed boy keeps throwing himself into water and fire and he keeps on trying to kill himself and Jesus exercises this demon out of him and then all the crowds are marveling and Jesus says but while they were all marveling he says uh, let these words sink into your ears the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men but they did not understand the saying, and it was con it was concealed from them so that they might perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So at this point, it's like, okay, Peter got his butt whooped. The three got their, they, they got humiliated by this teaching of the child. And so at this point, they're just like, all right, well, we're just, we don't get it. So we're just afraid to ask him at this point. The last time that he mentions this to the disciples, six days later, right? And I'll kind of track all this at the end. They're, they're nearing Jerusalem, and they're almost there. They're, they're approaching Jericho, which is very, very close to Jerusalem. And again, the disciples are arguing, now this time, for like a cabinet position in President Jesus' cabinet. They're like, all right, we got, we got uh, this position and this position, but I want to be the one like right next to Jesus, right? And so Jesus just stops them. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the, about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. 
And then Jesus infamously teaches them, guys, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for men. Right? So four times in Jesus' ministry, in the span of at least 20 days leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection, he tells them this. At these pivotal moments when everybody's like, hey, Jesus, you're the guy, man. I want to be right next to you. When you get to power, I'm going to be the right hand, right? And he's like, um, <laughs> I'm going to die. And um, that's not the way this kingdom works. And, they're, and they just don't, so they don't get it. And here, going back to Luke, we have these two disciples who have at least heard this two times. Some of the times that Jesus says it, talks about his death, it's only the three, some it's only the twelve. So for them, it's like they've heard it at least two times. He reminds them. He says, I already told you this, guys. Like, what, what are you, how come you guys, this isn't a matter of your guys' knowledge, like, you guys just don't believe. <laughs> and so, I wonder for us, how often we have to be reminded of the truth. Like, it's so interesting to me that in our lives when we make decisions in life that typically we have enough willpower to do what we want to do. Typically we have enough like ability to do it. And typically, like, if we're really talking about it, we stretch and we like mold our, our time and our schedules to try to fit things in that we really, really care about. And so I wonder how much of our decisions are like, really just we're living out of unbelief. Like we're not living because we don't get it or that we don't understand something about Jesus or about what he's commanded or what he said. There's some things in scripture that are very clear often we're just like struggling with unbelief like we just don't trust him or we just don't believe what he has said is true or or that he's um, his promises are true and so yeah I want to I want to keep going through uh, let's keep going through this so he reminds them, essentially. Like, the same thing with the women. The, they didn't understand. He reminds them of what the truth says. And then they have this response. And so what, what now do these two disciples have with this response? After Jesus goes through and literally interprets what all these scriptures and what all of these things, which are pointing to Christ, have really said about him. Verse 28, it continues, he says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, that is, as they persuaded him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem 
And they found the eleven. Well, I'll stop right there. So they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So here we go again. It started with perplexity and sadness and doubt. And after Jesus, for some reason, God just uses the breaking of the bread to open their eyes so that they finally recognize who it is. At that very moment, Jesus becomes invisible. He just disappears from their sight. And so now they've moved from this doubt to, oh, okay, all the things you're saying in Scripture seem true. And then, oh, John, this is Jesus. It's like breaking the bread in front of him, and they're like, oh, this is the guy. And then he just vanishes. So, so like, what would you guys do in that situation? You, like, finally come to this realization that, oh, dang, we've just been talking for Jesus. We've been on a three- to four-hour hike with Jesus, <laughs> not realizing it's Jesus, and now we see it, and it's him. Okay, so they were heading away from Jerusalem, away from everything, and now they're like, well, we got to get up and go tell the eleven. we we got to go do this. So imagine this, right? Like, you've been on this hike all day long, and it's, like, this time, and night is right about to fall. And I was kind of looking at this because I'm a little bit of geography nerd, so whatever. <laughs> the distance between where they think Emmaus is from Jerusalem to Emmaus would be kind of like, I don't know how many of you guys have, like, hiked the Hollywood sign hike. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a long way. It's like, it's like a seven, it's like a six-mile hike, long way. And the elevation climb on that is, like, a thousand feet, right? So you're talking like three or four hours of hiking up. Well, from Emmaus to Jerusalem, it's seven miles, so a mile more, and 1,500 feet in climb. Mm -hmm. So these men who are like, hey, Jesus, or like, hey, guy that's traveling with us, that's miraculously teaching us all the scriptures, you shouldn't keep going. Just stay with us. It's late. We just, we just went on this big journey. We're here now. Just, just hang out with us. It's fine. And then they have this realization, and then Jesus just disappears, and they're like, oh, junk, that was him. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Well, it's nighttime already. I don't know, whatever, let's just go back. <laughs> so they, like, go and they hike back up to Jerusalem in, like, three or four hours, and probably, like, at this point, it's nighttime because the, the day was already well spent. And they tell the disciples, but then what do the disciples do? <laughs> Uh, in the other, in, in a couple of the other gospels, it's interesting. They say what some of the other gospel writers say about this particular moment is they hear about this testimony that these two are giving them, and they are completely they're just like we don't believe you, just totally in disbelief. Like, all right, so you went down to Emmaus, and you were on your way out, and then you saw him, and then you hiked all the way back up here just to tell us this, just like those crazy women at the tomb who did the same thing. It's like, okay, we don't believe you. Mm -hmm. What's also interesting is you can just see the way that they're living into the reality of just living by sight, just mm -hmm. living by what they're seeing, because the other Gospels say that the room that they're staying in is a locked room, and they're afraid of the Jews. So clearly they've totally forgot everything that Jesus has told them in his ministry about what was going to happen and they're just living by the reality that he, they killed our rabbi. And we might be next. And he wasn't the guy. And now they're going to think we're a bunch of insurrectionists and we're going to have like this crazy rebellion because we have this messianic fervor that's not actually real. And so we're just hiding away in this room and we don't believe any of the accounts that anybody's saying to us. 
It's like, I don't know what kind of Jesus, well, clearly they didn't have the right view of Jesus at that, at that moment. And so what happens next is great. What happens next is just, <laughs> it's just crazy. So they told him what happened, and they didn't believe it. And in verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? It's just so funny because, you know, it's like Jesus just knew exactly what to do. Like, well, first of all, let's, let's even think about this. Jesus just vanishes. They go on this three to four hour hike back up to Jerusalem. They find the 11. And then Jesus just appears behind a locked door. Um, that's a little freaky. And so they now, the 11, are going through the same cycle that everybody else in the story is going through. They're sad. They're in doubt. They're just living by side. They don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and they're just startled and perplexed. Like, okay. And what's great about Jesus is he always knows what's going on inside of our hearts, right? And so what does he say? He says, why are you guys having doubts? Why are there doubts arising in your heart? And so what he does is he gives two evidences. He says, it's the real me. I'm not a ghost. Let me show you. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they were... And while they still disbelieved, but at least they're moving along the spectrum now, they disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? It's like, Jesus is hungry, I guess. It's like, okay. Uh, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them, just to show them. Here's two ways. I got a physical body, you can feel it, you can touch it, and by the way, I'm kind of hungry, so you guys got any fish? eats it before them. Sounds like most men. Jesus <laughs> was a man. That's boiled fish. And so what's interesting is just a plug here. When we when we will finally be with Jesus in the glorified state at the end of all time, um, Scripture tells us that we're going to have the same bodies that Jesus has here. So just, we'll have physicality still. We won't just be spiritual beings floating around in space aimlessly and not feeling anything. We'll actually have physical bodies. They'll just be glorified and now without sin. And I always kind of, this is kind of a side point, but I was just kind of wondering, like, am I going to be like 26? Or am I going to be like... Or seventy-eight after like my Asian genetics, you know. Um, beside the point, but sanctified imagination. Whatever. So, here's the one question, the one big question I just kind of want to ask us, and then I'll land on some closing principles. Is um, using our sanctified imagination, like. I want us to kind of be a little serious about this. I know this is kind of crazy, but like, what would happen if Jesus just showed up? Like, I don't even care if he just showed up like 
Like, he just beamed in. But, like, what if he just literally walked through that door? What What would you guys do? Like, what, would, what should we do? I think Serious I question. Crying. I think yeah. I would just be, right. like, start crying. I don't know. Yeah, me too. Overwhelmed. <laughs> if that is if like, we knew it was him, because we yeah. have no idea what he looked like. Yeah. That was my first question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was most shoot. likely very dark-skinned, yeah. so, like, not like any of the pictures are easy. Yeah. I'd be like, you're not white. <laughs> Where's your blonde hair? Where are your green eyes? <laughs> Would he be wearing sandals and a robe or yeah. like H&M clothing? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I'd probably sit down. I'd be like, Jesus, um, please, you teach. I'll just go <laughs> in the back and crawl into a hole. <laughs> like, I, I just wonder. And then we read in the rest of these accounts that he's there for 40 days with them. It's like, if we had 40 days with physical Jesus, I mean, this isn't the main application that I'm landing on, but like, let's just think about this. What would we do? Like, how would that change our plans for the next 40 days? Um, just kind of got to think about that. And what I kind of want to drive home at this point is like, if we're so startled or like kind of stopped in our tracks by that question, the real question is, why are we not living like he's alive? Yeah. Because we don't have a right view of Jesus, maybe. Yeah. We're not seeing Jesus clearly, perhaps. I just thought if he came and he was with us for 40 days, I want to bring all the people I love and be like, see, see, he's real, he's here, uh -huh. and bring everybody I love that, you know, I want to believe in him to yeah. him no. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which doesn't, isn't that crazy? Because that sounds totally like what happened in his ministry. Yeah. He's going around Galilee doing all these miracles, and like, that's, that's just a natural thing to do. It's like, hey, Jesus is, is here. Like, he just, here's the guy, like, look at him, he's doing all this crazy, like, Bring everybody, like, especially the sick, you know? So just gotta wonder, like, what, what would we, what would we do? Um, we'll learn a lesson here from, from the disciples and the rest of the folks who were living at that time about what they did, but I just kinda wanna offer some three principles just to kinda recap some of the dynamics that happened in these three stories. First of all, at some point, we all hear the truth. So we all understand it intellectually, right? The problem is, is, even if we have that, we don't necessarily believe the truth. And when we don't believe the truth, we don't apply the truth. And the story here is this incredible, like, revelatory process where they've been given the truth, they don't get it, and they don't believe it, and then all of a sudden, these actual realities start to come into place, and then that's what causes them to believe, right? Now, you might be saying, oh, well, Eric, well, duh, if Jesus came here, then I would believe. I don't think so. If you're, if you're not a believer, and you saw Jesus, and he did all those things, look at what happened to the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. I don't think just simply seeing him means that you're going to have faith. And in some ways, I do have to wonder what God's idea is for how he wants people to see Jesus physically today. I think the obvious answer for that is like the church. Mm -hmm. 
Like if somebody were to come in here and hear the testimonies of several people in here, like some of us were drunkards, some of us were slanderers, some of us were robbers, some of us were sexually immoral, some of us were just evil. But God has changed all of that in us, has he not? Like. The testimony of the changed, transformed lives of the church is what serves as Jesus' physical testimony today. And so, if you hear the truth and then you actually believe it, then that gives you the perfect position then to live the truth. So, are we going to see Jesus clearly? The, you know, the... We can see it from the women to the disciples to the 11. They wanted a prophet, but they didn't want his poverty. They wanted a king, but they didn't want him killed. They wanted a Christ, but they wanted no crucifixion. They wanted salvation, but no suffering. And they wanted redemption, but no resurrection. They just didn't have a right view of this. And so, for us in our church, we're at a we're at an interesting climax here. We're at the end of the Gospels, and Jesus has risen. If there's any time in the scope of the Bible, and at any time where we fit into this redemptive history, it's here. Like, if we really truly believe in the things that we say we believe, that Jesus raised from the dead, and he's now sitting at the right hand of God, and he's going to come back for us, and, all, and he's going to make all the wrongs right, like, this is the beginning of where what we do all starts. Like we, we've read through the prophets and the Psalms and Moses and hopefully we've been able to see that yeah, all of these things are pointing to Jesus and now Jesus is finally here and he's like, well, I did the work of redemption and I'm here and I'm alive. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Who are you going to see me as? Right? And so these next uh, few weeks, will, or really few months, will be our church going through God's instruction to us very directly. And so if we really truly believe what this story shows in the resurrection of Jesus, then how ought we to respond? Let's finish out the chapter. It says... In verse, 40, or in verse uh, 45, so he opens their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father, that is the Holy Spirit, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then at some later point, he led them out as far as Bethany and was lifting up his hands, he blessed them. (coughs) While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And then what do they do? They worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. I mean, that's what I feel like we would do, right? He was with us 40 days. 
what we would all be crying and all over the place. <laughs> and then we would, and then he would be leaving and he'd have told us, hey, I gotta go do these things. And then what would we do? We, we would just continue to worship and go to the place that we know, at least for the Jews, it was the temple, go to the place where we can be, to be with God. And for Luke and his main objective for even writing this whole gospel, there's that one key word there, you are witnesses of these things. So implicit in that, he's saying at the beginning of his gospel, Theophilus, I'm giving you an account. Here's, here are all the reasons why this is true. And here at the end, he just kind of like nails it in and he just says, you're all witnesses of these things that have happened. Um, now what are you going to do with it? And implied in that is that we become witnesses of the Lord Jesus. So, Jesus will appear tonight, and we will all fall down and cry. We will become witnesses, and then we will worship him. And hopefully over the next few months, learn what it really means to obey him. All right? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word, and um, thank you that, Lord, you, you didn't just create the world and leave us in the dark, but you let us into your mind, and you let us know, actually, what you had in mind. Even when we sinned against you, even when we rebelled, you, you made a way to make it known to us things that were to come, that did come, that, that are happening right now, and that what will that uh, what will happen in the future. And God, it's, it's our prayer that um, we wouldn't live just by what we see, but that we would truly live by faith, by your word. Now, as we recognize that truth, we would believe your truth, so that we might live your truth. Um, I just pray, God, that. Um, in the coming months, in the time that we've spent, that the time that we've spent in the Old Testament will all testify to Jesus. And that we will, um, our hearts would be really affected by the reality of his resurrection, and that our hearts would be truly uh, changed and transformed and desirous to live for him in, in light of his resurrection, even as he lives, even as he sits and dictates all things at your right hand today, God. I just thank you for this time that you've given us with your word, and pray that you would bless our efforts and um, bless our time in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.